You know, when I was a, a little boy growing up, my mother used to sing a song about uh, walking around heaven all day. And the lyrics basically said, uh, it went something like, one of these mornings won't be very long. You'll look for me and I'll be gone. I'm going to a place where there is nothing to do and I'll just walk around heaven all day. Now I enjoyed hearing my mother sing that song. And even when I would go to church and sometimes I would hear a preacher uh, preach something about heaven, they would basically always give the idea that when we die, that's what happened. We just simply go to heaven and that's where we remain for the rest of eternity. But is that true? As a matter of fact, the scriptures nowhere teach that we go to heaven and we remain there for eternity. Heaven is the abode of God and it won't be in heaven won't be God's abode for all eternity. So what is the purpose of heaven? Heaven is a place where at the moment of death we go to be with Jesus Christ. So that is a it is a place of comfort for God's people after death. Heaven is a place where God's people also are taken to escape the tribulation. That's also called the day of the Lord that's coming upon this world, the time of great judgment, which Jesus comes back to get his people so that we don't have to endure all of these things. Heaven is a place where we go to uh, formally marry our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place where the marriage between the Messiah and the church takes place. And finally, and that's my point for today, heaven is a place where the saints are judged. Heaven is a place where we will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. But before we get into all of that, and that's what I want to deal with today, um, that particular process by which we will be judged when we stand before Jesus. But what we have to understand is this, according to scripture, even the mindset of the Jews, it was never in the Jewish scripture that we look forward to the end of all things as being heaven. Heaven was never, and somehow that became corrupted as we went down through the centuries, that the end of all things is that we go to heaven and we remain. But this was never in the Jewish scriptures. As a matter of fact, the things that the Jews always, I'm sorry, the thing that the Jews always looked for was the coming kingdom of the Messiah. That is a time when the Messiah would come and then when he would come, he would set up his kingdom upon the earth. See, notice the kingdom was never in heaven. The kingdom was expected to be set up on the earth. Do you remember even when John the Baptist was imprisoned, he sent two of his servants to ask Jesus, because remember John said that John had announced that Jesus was the coming Messiah. And so it was his expectation, John, this Jewish announcer, it was his expectation that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and set up the kingdom. 
But John was confused in that the kingdom was not set up. And so what did he do? He sent two of his servants to ask of Jesus, well, what's the problem? I'm expecting the kingdom to be set up. And so Jesus didn't try to get into all of the explanation about the first and second coming. He just simply tried to strengthen John and said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. John, you did preach the right message, okay? But your time, your expectation for the setting up of the kingdom is not now. Jesus said he is the one, he is the Messiah who will set up the kingdom, but it's not right now not as we understand it now in his first coming. The setting of the kingdom is in his second coming, or we call it the return of Jesus. But anyway, we don't wanna babble too much on that. But the point is, it was the expectation of the setting up of the kingdom. And now for that reason, let us turn to Luke 19. And we're gonna use this to examine Jesus's point when he talks about the coming of the kingdom and, and the whole idea. This is what I want to do, guys. You have to look at yourself and you have to ask yourself certain questions. Are you ready for the coming kingdom? And what will happen when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ? What will Jesus say? So before we get into any and all of that, let's just first go to the scripture Let's set a foundation for these things we, so, so that you'll know that this is what we, what we should expect. And this is what the scriptures do teach. So we're going to look at Luke 19 and we're going to look at verse number 11. Uh, I don't know, maybe about for the whole entire uh, scope of this teaching. But the point is, we want to deal with what Jesus teaches us to expect in the coming kingdom. And that's our point. While they were listening to these things, I'm at verse number 11, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. Notice, and this is the final time when Jesus is coming to Jerusalem when he himself is getting ready to be crucified, okay? So he was near Jerusalem and they supposed what? The people that were with him were supposing that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Again, that's the point that teaches what? The hope and the expectation of the Jewish people was for the kingdom of God. What's my point again? This whole idea that we have been taught for so many years about, we're just simply going to heaven and that's it. But that's not what the scripture teach. That's not what the Jewish people expected and neither is that what Jesus taught. Okay, notice even now, what were their expectation? They were looking, they thought, since, notice, here's the point, and, and I really don't want to belabor it, guys, but you have to understand it. What were they looking for? Here is Jesus. They're believing that Jesus is what? He is the promised Messiah. And since he is the promised Messiah, what do we expect? We expect him to set up the kingdom, not set up a kingdom in heaven, but set up the kingdom on earth. So they were expecting at this point, at this high season, and remember this was the Passover time, they're expecting Jesus to come and set up the physical kingdom of God on earth. Okay, so let's go. And Jesus teaching them, and here's the point. He was teaching them three basic things. Number one 
is not the time for him to set up the kingdom of God on earth. That's number one. And that he would himself would go back to heaven and for a long period of time. This is why we call this the church age. Okay. He would go back to heaven for a long period of time. And then, and, and in the process, he would give to his servants, his people, us, the church. He would give to us gifts. He would give to us, and that's why he used this particular terminology as minas. Sometimes he would call it talents. But the whole point is, it's a large sum of money. And he would tell his people to do what? To work, to work. And this is what we are supposed to do. All right. And that is, and once we would labor throughout the church age after a long time, as the parables would teach us, he would return and then bring his servants before him to give an account. OK. And that's basically the idea. So let's look at the pair. Let's finish looking at the parable. And then we're going to work through how all of these things come together and we find ourselves at the seat of God, right? So he said, what? Okay, so they were supposing that what? The kingdom of God was about to come, right? So instead of doing that, he told them a parable. Verse 12, he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself, then return. That's the point we just made, right? And that's Jesus, he came to this place but of course, the Jews, what? They rejected him, all right? This is that kingdom that Jesus came to receive. And he called 10 of his slaves and he gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. So again, notice in the receiving of the kingdom for even though, even though the kingdom was not established, all right? Jesus did receive the kingdom in an official way in the sense that he was the Messiah. When Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on that on the back of that mule, that was the reception, that was the fulfillment of Zechariah. Behold your king coming. So he, he did receive the kingdom, but he did not establish the kingdom. Although he did what? He received that kingdom. So you receive it, but the point is that he gave his slaves 10 minas. That's simply like a hundred days of money. And so in this particular parable, he's simply saying he gave all of his people. But notice something now. This is slightly different parable. He gave this, he had 10 slaves. He gave them 10 minas. You see it? So he gave them each the same thing. So the whole point that we're trying to deal with here is this. All of us have been gifted by the Lord in some way in order to do work for his kingdom. And so what he's saying is this, he got the kingdom in the process. We know that he's rejected. We'll see all of that in this particular parable. He was rejected. And then what happened ultimately? He gave his servants these gifts in order to labor for him when he returned, he could receive of their labors. But let's continue. And what did he say in verse number 13? Do business with these things until I come back. The purpose of our being gifted. 14, the issue of rejection of the Jewish people. But his citizens, 
hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, even though that's not the issue that we're dealing with, but that's the whole point. He was rejected and ultimately what? Crucified. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. Now, that's the point that I'm dealing with today. Once he returned after receiving the kingdom. Now, whether this is in heaven or this is on earth, and I believe that this is actually something that is taking place in heaven because he did receive the kingdom that is riding into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey and he was lauded, praised by the people as the king, as it said, behold your king cometh. But here's the point. It is the those servants of his to whom he had given those gifts. Now they are brought before the king to give an account of their stewardship. What did you do with the gifts that I had given you? Here's the point. So after receiving, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to him so that they might know the business they had done. Look at verse number 16. The first appeared to him saying, Master, you, Master, your mina has had 10 minas more. He said to him, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over 10 cities. Now that's the point that we want to drive home. Notice what he says. You've been a, he's the first the slave came to Jesus joyously. Why? Because the slave had been dutiful in being busy about his Lord's business. And so he was what? Ultimately productive. What did he say? You gave me one mina and I working and laboring for you. That's the idea. Working and laboring for you. I produce, we all know by the help of the Holy Spirit, what? 10 additional minas, right? And so this is what he is having to give an account of his stewardship. He's having to give an account of his gifts. He's having to give an account of his life. He is having to give an account of his service to Jesus. And that's the point. And so will we. We will have to give an account of our stewardship, of our life, and our service to our master. What did he say? Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You are in to be an authority over 10 cities. Now, here's the point. We can't just simply think of this as par se, a, some kind of a story. But no, no, no. Jesus is teaching us spiritual truths of the judgment. What did he say? In this faithfulness, we will be judged. And in this judgment, notice, there will be a reward. And notice what he said will be the reward to this particular faithful steward. He said, be over or have authority over what? 10 cities. So that speaks of what? Ruling that speaks of having some sort of throne of dominion that speaks of judgment. And remember that point when we get to the end of this teaching. Again, notice what he said again. Be over 10 cities. Let's continue. And so the second came saying, your mina master has made what? Five minas, he said to him. And you are to be over 
five cities. So notice once again, in his reward, he is given authority over what? Five cities. And then again, what? He came into the final guy. And just like in the similar pat patterns that we've heard in this type of parable, right? Another came to him and said, Master, what? Here's your mina. I kept him put away in your handkerchief for I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you worthless slave did you not know that i am an exacting man taking up what i did not lay down and reaping what i did not sow you could have put my money in the bank and i would have came and had my stuff with interest so he says what take away the meaning from him and give it to the one who has 10 meanings but anyway here is the point that i'm trying to stress the idea of the lord has given each servant which is each of us, a particular gift or gifts. And we all have something from our Lord. And here's the second point. He expects labor. He expects us to do something with those gifts. Now, to those who do things with the gifts that the Lord blesses them with, what does he do? He blesses you. He gives you something to be exercised in the kingdom. Now, let me just simply slow this down because here is the point that I'm trying to stress. It's no such thing as going to heaven and staying there. We go to heaven for a reason, okay? We go to heaven, once again, to be with the Lord at the point of death. It gives us comfort. We go to heaven to escape the great tribulation that's coming upon the earth. We go to heaven for formally to be married to Jesus Christ. And right here, again, we go to heaven. And I'm going to show you that too. Just give me a chance. We go to heaven because it is when we go to heaven, we, and I mean, and, I'm, and let me make it clear. I am not talking about unsaved people. I'm talking about saved people only. I'll say it again. Saved people only. So saved people only will be judged at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And that's the point. So therefore, it is very important that we consider how we live our lives. But before I get into all of that, let's move to the next section, okay? So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and, and I just want to drive this point home to you so that you'll see what takes place when we die. Now, what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 basically is the eternal body that we will get from God. And that's basically his point. The, we, we will have an eternal body and this mortal body will be done away with. So since we know that we will have an eternal body, Paul says it's fine. It's cool. It's cool that we are still in this mortal body, in this body that still gets sick, in this body that will eventually die. Why? Because one day God has promised us that he will give us a body that will never die, an eternal body made of heavenly things. And the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, 
he becomes a down payment. The Holy Spirit is our personal reassurance that one day God is going to give us a body that will never die, okay? But until then, and this is the teaching of 2 Corinthians, until then, what? We are in this mortal body. And as long as we have this mortal body, we are what? Separated from Christ because we don't get the immortal body until we go to be with Christ. But until then, we have this what? Mortal body and having these, and that's what we have right now. And having these mortal bodies, what? then we are away from Christ. In other words, we are not with Jesus in heaven. That's the bottom line. And here's now, now let's get to the point. That's why, he, let's get directly to verse number six. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing what? That while we are at home in the body, that means we are in these mortal bodies, what? We are absent from the Lord, that we are not in heaven. We're not in heaven and we have not been given those new, what? Eternal bodies yet. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse number eight. We are, good, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body. That means we to be absent from the body literally means that we are dead. We've shed this mortal body, okay? And, and even if we don't have the eternal bodies yet, that's... That's a process, and that's also another lesson. <laughs> the, okay, I'll just tell you now. We are given the eternal bodies in the rapture of the church, okay? And if you wanna know when do all of God's people, we everybody gets the eternal body at the same time. That's what Paul was teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, when he says, what he's, and that's the, the whole issue of that is about the resurrection of the dead and the regathering to Jesus Christ. What did he say? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven to shout, voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and what? The dead in Christ, that's the resurrection, shall rise first and what? And remember, the spirits are already with Jesus Christ, so we're talking about the dead, dead bodies. And this is when the new bodies for those who are already in heaven, they get it then. Then what does the verse continue to say? We who are alive and remain, that means the rest of the church who are living shall be what? And that's the transformation. First Corinthians chapter 15. We shall not all die, but what? We shall all be changed. How? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When this what? Mortality shall put on what? Immortality. And that's when Paul says, what? And we who are alive shall be caught up. That's the transformation. And so that's when we actually get our eternal bodies. You got it? Everybody gets it at the same time. The dead, those who have already died, and those who have not yet died. But we all go through that transformation process, and we are given these eternal bodies. All right. But let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5. So Paul is simply saying that whether we are absent from the body to uh, 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 from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So it doesn't matter whether we have these bodies now or whether we have died and shared these bodies and we are in heaven with Jesus. 9. And here is our key verse. Here's what we want to understand. 
Therefore, we also have as our ambition. Notice, it is our what? Ambition. Whether at home, that means whether we are in these bodies or absent, or whether we have left these bodies, to be pleasing to him, that is Jesus. Notice what he says. It must be our ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. Let that Take that back to what we just talked about when Jesus said what? I left my servants gifts, minas. Sometimes he would say talents. Okay, and he's not talking about spiritual talents. Talents in the Greek is money. But the parable is speaking of the gifts that he has left us. And with the gifts that he has left us, he expects service. Notice what he said. When he went for a long time, he came back. And when he did, he called his servants to give an account. Okay, and here's what Paul here is referencing to. Notice, we want to be pleasing to the Lord, and we're going to build upon that as well. Why? Why is it so important for us to live lives that are pleasing to God, to live lives that are productive and fruitful to God? Look at verse number 10. For we must all appear, and I'm going to take my time because I really want you guys to understand it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, what does he say? Why do we want to be pleasing to Jesus? Because we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me help you out. Here the word is bema. It is the Bama seat of Jesus Christ. This is not, and let me repeat again, this is not the judgment of Revelation chapter 20. This is not the throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20. We'll talk about that later on because at Revelation chapter 20, this is the judgment of the wicked dead alone. There are no saints in the judgment of Revelation chapter 20, okay? So here, the judgment seat is literally called the Bema, and I'll take you to it, take you right there. The Bema seat of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the judgment of the saints, because notice what Paul has constantly said, we, we, we. He didn't say all, he didn't say they, so his reference are to Christians and Christians alone. And what does he take, say takes place at the judgment seat of Christ? So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. In other words, see, when you stand, the Lord will judge you for the things that you did. He said, notice what, when in the body, when you were alive. So Jesus is going to take each and every one of us individually before his judgment seat after our death. And what will he do? He will bring us into judgment. Now, let me help you out. You may have heard some people say, well, he will to judge us about sin. No, no, no. This is not about sin whatsoever. Always remember that all of our sins were paid for at the cross of Jesus. So no one 
No believer is ever judged for sin. For this reason, Jesus came and died so that we will not be judged for our sins. What he is actually judging us for is notice what he said, our works. Notice and those works, whether they be good or bad. Now notice he says bad. And you may think that he means bad with the sense of evil, but that's not the word that was used. The word here is used is falone. Falone simply means worthless, worthless. We will be judged whether those works were good works or whether those works were bad works. Now, let's even continue further in the teaching. Well, what do you mean, Eric, when we says we'll be judged for whether those works were good and bad? Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All right. And here, Paul is talking about the Christian life. And, and, and the whole point, and, and, and I can't just work through all of the details, guys, because this is long enough as it is. But the point is this. He's been talking about the Christian life, that Jesus Christ is the very foundation for our salvation. Now, once we receive Jesus Christ, we are saved. How do we live from that point on? That's why he talks about building upon that foundation. Again, how are we going to live? Now, Paul's address here are to the leaders, for, say for instance, people like me, preachers, right? how we build, how we are edifying the body of Christ in our teaching, in our preaching and the things that we say in teaching people how to live their lives and the sort of lives that they should live. So basically that's the idea that he's shooting from. But the principle is the same for how a believer lives their life. Notice, here's what I'm trying to do. We're dealing with those issues of when Jesus says, I gave you the gifts, okay? We're bringing that together when Paul says that we're going to be judged according to what? Our works. And this is the point that we're building on. What works? Well, now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's what Paul says. Now, the, I know, here's the thing. You are saved. You are saved. But how will you live your life and what are the things that you do in your life for Jesus? Your works. You see, your works. What are those things that you are doing? So now let's just go to the scripture and we're going to look at it. And now we want to look at something else that I'm a, another aspect of these works. Or should I dare say these things that we're doing for Jesus or in the name of Jesus? Let's look at it. According, for we are God, I guess we'll start at verse number nine very quickly. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's, God's field, God's building. 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. See that? And another is building on it. That means I laid a foundation. He said, I did that. Somebody else is now continuing the work. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Now that's the point. Lay the foundation. What is the foundation? Verse number 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's the point. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. That's our salvation. What is the point? Now, what are you going to do? How are you going to what? 
build on that foundation? What kind of, for me, for me personally, it says, okay, what you're preaching, Eric, how are you going to build on that foundation with the gifts that the, that God has given you to edify the body of Christ, the, the gift that God has put in you, or let us say it even this way, as the slave, the servant of Jesus Christ, what type of life you are going to live for Jesus Christ? How are you going to build on that foundation? You got it? And notice, and not only just for the leaders, preachers or whatever of the church, but for you, what does he say again? Each man has to be careful, no matter whether you are the one doing the building or the one you live in your life. You must be careful what? How you build this foundation. What does he say? 12, and here are verses of emphasis. Now, if any man builds on the foundation, notice now quality. He built on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones. That's one uh, type of building material. Notice, building with what? Gold, silver, precious stones, and I'll explain it. Then he says, also with wood, hay, and straw. That's another type of quality of work. But notice, here's the point. Here's the point, and you got to see it, guys. He is saying that you are building upon your salvation. These are the things that you are doing for Christ. What? One is gold, silver, precious stone. That's a quality within itself. So quality classification number one. Then he says there's another quality classification. Number two, wood, hay, and stubble. You got it? So you got two classes of material or both of them are works you're both doing these things everybody's doing something per se for jesus but it fits in one or two classes it's either in the class of gold uh, uh, uh precious stones and stuff like that or it's in the class of wood hay and stubble your works will fall in one or two classes so watch what he says. 13. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it must be revealed. It, it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, I know that they, they translated they would test the quality of each man's work, but it literally said this way and of each um, and of the work of each man. Whatever it is, the fire will declare it. Now, that's what he literally said in the Greek. Of each man's work, whatever it is, the fire will determine it. Now, let me explain what he is saying. He's saying that the lives that we live, the things that we do, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus, because what? He sees all. He knows all. He knows the heart of man. He knows the intent of man. So therefore, he will judge each and every one of our works. Now, and here is the point. It's not just simply doing something for Jesus. And here's why I want you guys to pay close attention. It's why you did it. You know, sometimes... Sometimes my, my, my spirit is disturbed 
you, you know, you, you, you go to church or whatever, you turn on the TV or whatever, and you see everybody in the church, whatever, and, and it's not always for the right reason. We don't do things for the glory of Jesus. We don't do it so that the name of the Lord can be magnified. Sometimes the preacher get up there and, and, and the only reason why you saying what you're saying is to make the people shout. Whether the people shout or not, your job is to give them the word of God. Give them the right doctrines of the scripture and teach them. What does the scripture say? how to possess their vessels in sanctification and in honor. It does not matter if people praise you. It doesn't matter if they love you. It only matters if you are doing these things to please your Lord and your Savior. Not because you got on some stupid suit. Not because you got on some stupid robe trying to look a certain way in front of people. You, it is, whatever you do, it will be brought into judgment at the judgment seat of Jesus. And the Lord, what did the Bible say? He looks into the heart. He knows why you do what you do. So even now, even now, we always must pray, whether, and this doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or whether you're sitting out there in the audience. Lord, purify my heart. Help my mind. I know what I say it can be messed up, and it's not always for the right reason, but help my mind that what I say and what I do and the life I live is not for my glory. It's not to try to make me look good and put me on stage or make somebody call my name or say how wonderful. I, it's not for, help me Jesus, cause that kind of foolishness is in me. It's in me. We war against the flesh. We war against pride. What did the Bible say? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride. Pride. And it's in all of us. And so you have to come straight up with Jesus and say, Lord, now you got to take all that foolishness out of me so that whatever I do, it is for the praise and glory of God. Why? What did Paul say? He is going to try your work of what the quality is. Why did you do what you do? Who did you do it for? Did you do it for yourself? Did you do it so that you can be praised? Now let's look at the end result. Now notice, you did things for Christ Notice once again, here's the point. You did things for Christ. Why? But there were two classes of works. Whether they were the, the gold, the silver, the precious stone, class number one, or what? Wood, hay, stubble. Watch. Each man's work will become evident for the day was sure because it will be revealed by fire. Fire will test the quality of each man's work. What happens when you put gold, silver, and precious stones and subjected to fire. Nothing. They simply become purified. But what happens when you put, notice, wood, hay, and stubble and subject them to fire? <laughs> they get burned up. 
What he is saying is this. Notice, if any man's work, let's just go on to verse 14. If any man's work, which he has built on it. See, that's the life. Those are the things that we do for Jesus Christ. If any man's work remains, that's, it proves that it was what? Gold, silver, and it was quality. It was done for Jesus. It was done for the right reason. It will remain, and notice what he says, and that man will receive a reward. Those are the only works you will get a reward for. Works that are done in purity of heart. Works that are done for the right reason. It's done for Jesus. But watch what he says on the second hand. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And here's my point. There will be, and Lord, I, and I ain't going to lie, y'all. I pray about this all the time. I don't want that to be me. <laughs> there will be many Christians standing before the judgment seat because you're not dealing with sins. He ain't talking about sin at all. He's talking about the works you did in his name. He says those works you're going to be. Can you imagine standing in front of Jesus in the judgment and he has the books? Of works, that's you remember that two books, book of life and a book of works. He has the books of works, and now he's gotten to your name, and you're standing there. And as he's reading off these works that you did, he's just burning it up in your face, burning it up in your face, burning it up in your face. And you look at, <laughs> and when you leave from the throne of Jesus, you smoking. <laughs> Why you smoking is because he burned up so much of your works. Notice he said, you will suffer loss. That means no reward for these things. You get nothing. You did, you know, you up there and you run in your mouth and you say, for instance, you call yourself witnessing somebody or whatever you call yourself doing in the name of Jesus. Jesus said the truth of it all, you were doing it for you. You use my name, but you tried to make you look good. It wasn't for me. It was for the wrong reason. And what did he do? He threw it all away. And I don't want you to have to suffer that. But let me finish the teaching because it has gone far too long. You know, we started off this teaching talking about <laughs> the song my mom used to sing about going to heaven. And Jesus taught and it's, and it's all over. Every time Jesus taught, Jesus never taught about going to heaven and staying in heaven. We coming back. And when we get back, um, that's when we exercise. And so let me say it this way. So let me slow it down a little bit more. Once we are in heaven, okay, and we're with Christ and we each have been judged and Jesus has given us our reward. That's what we get in heaven. All right. That's the statement of our reward in heaven. All right. And the church is married to the lamb. That's when we come back. And now once we all come back and this is what is referred to as what saints, the second advent of Jesus Christ. He returns with the saints to bring judgment to the world. OK. And when he does come back, remember those rewards that we got. And this is our final point in the book of Revelation. When we come back, he gave us all rewards. Here he is in the kingdom. Because remember, the whole thing, Luke 19, where we started from. He says, and I said to the faithful servant, be over 
10 cities or be over five cities. So here is where we actually exercise those, those rewards. Here is where the Lord says, you remember in heaven, I gave you thus and thus. You can't run heaven. <laughs> you, you don't exercise none of that in heaven. Heaven is the domain and dominion of God and God alone. We don't run nothing there. It's on earth that we exercise dominion. Always remember that. Notice even from Genesis 1, earth is given as a place for man to exercise his dominion. Okay, so now the saints have returned and Jesus has set up the kingdom and those rewards that he gave you now you get a chance to exercise those rewards. And in seeing that, and we close this long teaching, we go to Revelation chapter 20. First, we see that Satan is bound at the return of Jesus Christ in Revelation 20 and 1. Okay, and, and guys, if you don't mind it, allow me to skip that part. Okay, because I'm going to just make the final point. And then we get to verse number 4. Notice, once the kingdom is set up, then I saw thrones. Notice, and, and, and I just want to pass out right here. He didn't say I saw a throne. Because the point is, he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about the saints. He's talking about us. Notice, I saw thrones and what? He didn't, he's not saying Jesus. And they sat on them. What do you do on a throne? You rule. You reign and have dominion. They sat on the throne and what? And judgment was given to them. L can I stop? Let me just stop right there. Notice, but now let me see. Remember Matthew 19? Remember Matthew, and let me tell y'all some beautiful stuff, y'all, since I got you here for, for this long. Remember when Jesus said to those, his apostles, the, he said, you 12 have been with me, all right? throughout his ministry and he give them a special gift. Each of them shall sit on what? 12 thrones judging what? The 12 tribes of Israel. You got it? Judging what? The 12 tribes of Israel. These are the thrones of the 12 apostles. But when we get to Revelation chapter 20, looking at verse number four, this is not only the thrones of the apostles. Why? Because in this world, we got what? Both the Jews and the Gentiles. So the question is this. Who is... And let me just let me slow it down. At the time of the kingdom, the mindset, the scriptures will be fulfilled. What? All Israel... All Jews will be gathered to Israel. That's taught all throughout the Old. You can see that all in the prophecies of the Old Testament. The whole bottom line. The Jews will come back home. Israel will be finally established. And it will be even made even larger. Okay. So all the Jews will be back home. And at that time. That's when the 12 apostles will be sitting on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But remember Matthew 25, when Jesus get back, not only is there a regathering of Israel, there is also a judgment of the Gentiles. My point is this, who will be judging the Gentiles? Who will be sitting on thrones 
judging over the Gentile. And always remember this. There were always many, many more Gentiles than it was Jews. Gentiles have always far outnumbered the Jews. So guess what? Israel is just going to be a little spot. Well, it's going to be larger. But in comparison to the whole world, it's still going to be small. But the rest of all those nations, the rest of all of those lands and peoples will be populated by the Gentiles. And who will rule over them? Those who were faithful. Now you see why it is so important, not only that we live a life for Jesus and live productive lives, for our Lord, but, but, Lord, please help my heart, purify my heart, so that what I do, why I do, that it is for you. What did Paul say? So that when I stand at your judgment seat, my works will remain. And what did Jesus say? And if they do, if they do, I'll bless you. The more faithful you are to me, the more I will bless you. Some of us will sit on thrones. Some of us will rule over the nations, that is the Gentiles, of the world. Will it be you? Will it be you? All right. Thanks, guys, for joining me in that long lesson. I hope and pray that it was a blessing to you. And I really hope that we consider what we do and why we do. All right, that's enough for today. If you haven't subscribed, be a great time to do so. Subscribe now, guys. And if you also hit that notification button so you'll be notified every time that we upload a lesson. Thanks, guys. Thanks for stopping by. See you next time.